0: Go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed.
1: Confidently, there's no place like Israel. And if you have never been there, my God, just please <laughs> try to make time to get there before the Lord comes back. Because I'm telling you, once you've gone, you will want to be back. Um, I was joking with uh, Minister Earl Dean, everyone. Uh, he smiles. No, no, I was, I was joking with him. I said, you know, it's funny. I came here... Um, expecting something and I think everyone goes expecting something different it's like you know you come to church on Sunday everyone comes for a different reason some people come to see other people some people come uh, because they want to you know they need something to do some people come because they're looking for the preacher to give them something to do and some people come just say I want to see Jesus and I think it's the same you know when you go to Israel you have to kind of ask yourself why am I going I think if you know the why, it makes a little more sense. And so um, about our third or fourth day, I think there were a few of the people in our group that were kind of tearing up. And I had this moment, I think I was telling my wife on the phone, I was like, you know, I haven't had that experience just yet. And I think because I came with a different mindset, I came, I said, I want to learn as much as I can. And, um, but I will say whatever your reason for going is, whatever your why is, you have to go. My God, you have to go. It just, you know, you just can't. I can tell you as much as I can about it. The group will tell you about it next week. Um, but you just have to be there. You know, when you go and you find out, when you walk around the Sea of Galilee and you realize Jesus did two things here. He did three things here. And you read your Bible and it just says he went, the, he went by the sea. It says he went over here and he did this. And then when you're in Israel, you realize, no, he did the same thing here that he did here. And just, you know, mind blown. But today is not about Israel. Today is about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. His name is? Jesus, amen. And it's uh, something that we talk about a lot in the church, because who do we love the most?
2: Jesus.
1: If you had said me, I would have said that's fine too. But, you know, we're here to see Jesus. We love him the most, and we're here to see him. So let's dive into the word. But before we do, let's open up in prayer. Is that okay? Let's open up in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that first and foremost, you are here. And that's what matters the most. That's what counts the most. Lord, I'm grateful for the faces I see, but I'm grateful more so, again, that you are here. You are here. And your word says that we cannot come into your presence one way and walk out the same. So, Father, I ask that whatever anyone has brought in here with them, whatever baggage, whatever feelings, uh, whatever depression, whatever concerns this morning, as we sit and rest in your presence, Lord, I thank you that you are a savior to everyone in here. And I thank you that we will walk out of this place only to collect the spoils of the war and the battles that you have won for us. And this morning, Lord, we rest in your love. We rest in your love for us. We thank you this morning, Lord, that you have paid a price that you didn't have to pay, but you did it because you love us. You did it because you love us. Father Jesus, you stood in darkness so that we could always stand in the light. Jesus, you've done so much for us. And this morning, we receive more of the fullness of your grace. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that no one came this morning to see me. No one came to receive from me. We've all come to receive from you. So, Father, I ask that everyone would walk out of here with exactly what you would have for them. Exactly what you would have for them. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, it is Resurrection Sunday, so I'm wearing a tie. (laughs) But I feel like David wearing Saul's armor. Please take this thing off, yo. It's right here in my throat. How do you do this every day? I'm just joking. I like it, but I, you know. Anyways, I'm glad you're here. I was uh, preparing for this uh, for today, and I was tempted to say, let me find someone else because of jet lag, and let me do this, let me do that. And as the day slowly came closer and closer, I knew I could call someone else, but it's Resurrection Sunday, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I'd like to share on Resurrection Sunday, jet lag and everything else. And so um, we went by the Dead Sea. We were uh, driving in our tour bus by the Dead Sea, and our tour guide said something. Now, I was going to save it to the end. I'll just tell you now. We were driving by the Dead Sea. And I had just had the thought, Lord, I'd like to share on Resurrection Sunday. I'd like to do that. And as I had the thought, our tour guide said this. He said, did you know that the number one um, exported commodity from Jerusalem back in the time, I'm sorry, from Israel, back in the time of Jesus' day, dating all the way back to the time of Solomon. Did you know that the number one exported commodity, does anyone know what it was? No. Salt. Salt. Now, for us, we have it on our table. What is salt, right? But keep in mind, back then, salt wasn't something that everyone had everywhere. Salt was the number one commodity, all right? Even back when Solomon, we know the story of how the queen of Sheba came all the way to Solomon because of his wisdom. But the Jews also say she came because of the salt. The world literally came to Israel and said, we'll give you gold if you'll give us salt. Salt was as valuable as gold. And as soon as he said that, all of a sudden, man, my heart filled because what did Jesus say you are? You are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus was telling them something that at the time they might have understood, but we understand more so on this side of the cross. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And you know what? As the world pays gold for salt, likewise, God is saying you are as valuable as that. All right? There's nothing that I wouldn't give to have you. You are so valuable to your heavenly father that he would give up heaven and earth, and he did give up heaven and earth for you. That's how valuable you are. Now, we know the payment of Jesus. We talk a lot about Jesus' sufferings. But you know what? We need to talk more about the resurrection of him. Because the resurrection is not the payment of Jesus. The resurrection is the receipt. Now, listen. If I buy, let's say this. Let's say I go to the store and I want to buy a new Bible. And if you know anything about buying Bibles, now we have them on our phones. Praise the Lord. But if you go buy a Bible today, most Bibles cost anywhere between 60 to 120 plus. Which is kind of sad. It's like it's the Word of God. But... 60 to 120 dollars in that price range, right? Now, let's say the price of this Bible is 80 dollars, and I am the one that's selling it to you. Now, I've set the price for 80 dollars. You come into the store and you say, "I want this Bible." I say it costs 80 dollars. You say, "I'm not paying 80 for it. I'll pay 60 for it." If I sell you the Bible at 60, the value of the Bible is not what I said it, but it's what you paid for it. That common sense, right? the value of the Bible is not what I set because I'm selling it it's what you paid for it now listen when God came to buy you the Bible says himself he offered himself himself shows up several times in the New Testament because it's not an angel he didn't send an angel God could have put an angel at the cross for you God could have sent anyone to the cross for you but instead he gave his own son for you himself stood at the cross for us himself hung at the cross for all of us so what is he saying the price for you was me You are as valuable to me as my son. God put on flesh and blood and gave his life for all of us. Now that we know the value, if you walk away without the receipt, you have to hope you can remember the value. And the problem is many times in church, we don't talk about the resurrection. We don't talk about what it means that Jesus is alive today. But Jesus alive today is the receipt, the proof of your value before God as judge of the world. Now, I don't really like that that title very often. I love to look at God as my heavenly father, right? When you talk about a judge, you talk about what's right, what's wrong. When you talk about a father, fathers tend to be more lenient, right? Mm -hmm. Only a few of us. Okay, my my father tends to be a little more one-sided towards me. I tend to be a little more one-sided towards Parker. I love him, right? But when Jesus stands before God today, the Bible says in Hebrews, he stands before God as judge. Why as judge? Because as judge, when it comes to healing, and all the courts of heaven and earth say does Matthew deserve to be healed? Jesus is the receipt. I paid for it. I paid for it. Are you with me? The Bible says he is in God's presence at the right hand of God, always making intercession for us, right? And for years we thought that man, he's always praying to God for us. He's always entreating God. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, please. And then one day, a great man of God stood up and said, his hands are all the intercession that needs to be done. When God looks at me and says, What has Matthew done to deserve to be healed? Jesus says, my hands. This is what Matthew has done to be healed. Are you with me? This is the receipt. Jesus alive today is the receipt. And Jesus alive is pretty much, again, it's the legal receipt saying, this is why you deserve. This is why you have earned. This is what you have done. And you say, well, I haven't done anything. I haven't earned it. You're absolutely right. Aren't you glad that Jesus was not our sacrifice? John said, behold, the lamb of... God, God's payment for you. Aren't you glad when you went to pay for it, God stepped in your place and said, I will pay for it. And now today, there is no reason why we should not be healed. There is no reason why we should not walk in wholeness. There is no reason why we should not enjoy the fullness of his love for all of us. Because Jesus alive today is the receipt. (laughs) He is the proof of the value that God has set on all of us. How valuable are you to God? How valuable is Jesus? By him and for him and through him, all things were created. And God gave up Jesus for you. You ready to go home? <laughs> we haven't even started the first verse. So I, look at, I found this beautiful picture. It's kind of hard to see. I had to put a color on top of it. But we stood here at the garden tomb. We went inside. And, you know, everyone says, well, how do you know that was there? How do you know this was here? But when you go, you see all the things. Again, uh, you know, some on our group were more discerning. Me, I was just more educational. Look at this. Look at that, you know. Looking at all the pieces and all the things, and we'll show more pictures later, but the garden too, man, it was beautiful. Yes. And you walk in and the Bible says they rolled a stone in front of the, the entrance, right? You can't see it from this picture, but right there where the step is, there's a little, uh, little pathway made out of stone that's all connected to the, to the grave itself, a little bit of an opening with a lip that sticks out. My explanation is horrible. The point is, <laughs> it's just big enough to roll a stone backwards and forwards. Across, cross, so you could have covered the cave. Oh, man, it was beautiful. Yes. Oh, it was awesome. So anyways, Resurrection Sunday, he is no longer there. He's alive. We went to see an empty tomb, and they made sure it was empty. I'm just talking. We went to see an empty tomb, and because he's not there anymore. So if you have your Bible, let's open up to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. If the cross is the exchange, the resurrection is the value. Amen. Resur- I'm sorry not resurrection Romans chapter 4 and I will tell you please bear with me give me one moment I'm gonna fix the screen Please bear with me I woke up this morning I'm not really dealing with jet lag but for some reason I thought let me eat some espresso beans Help me wake up and now I'm like <laughs> I'm shaking <laughs> So, I didn't need them I don't know why I did it but they were really good Romans chapter 4 verse 23 now, the Apostle Paul says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Let me give you the context real quick. In Romans 4, Paul is talking about Abraham. And he says, Abraham believed God in spite of everything he saw. Abraham did not waver in his faith in spite of everything he saw. God told Abraham, I will give you a son through Sarah, your wife. And Abraham said, God, I'm already 90 years old. My wife is, she's 80 plus. Just give it to my, 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 my servant, Eleazar. And the Lord said, no, I want you to be the one. I promise you, you will have a son. And the Bible says in Romans that Abraham did not waver through unbelief, but he stood firm in his faith, believing that he who promised was able to do it and that he would do it. Now, when you read the story of Abraham, it does not look that beautiful. (laughs) Abraham ends up sleeping with Hagar, his, his servant, his wife's handmaiden, and out of that comes Ishmael. And you look at Abraham's life, his whole life is, is, is marred with Abraham not really believing God. But when you read about him in the New Testament, God's estimation of Abraham is that Abraham did not waver through unbelief. Now why can God say that and be righteous and just and be true? Because on this side of the cross, all Abraham's failures were put on Jesus. Likewise, all our failures were put on Jesus at the cross. Now when God looks at you, when God looks at me, he says, Matthew did not waver through unbelief, but stood firm in his faith, believing me for everything. Aren't you glad? He says the same thing about you, because Jesus is your Savior. All your sin has been put on him. So when you get to heaven, there'll be no record of, well, Matthew said this, Matthew said that. No, when the books are open, he will say, Matthew, like Abraham, did not waver through unbelief, but stood firm in faith, believing God. Aren't you excited? So we see Abraham did not waver through faith in the new, and that's God's estimation of him. But when it comes to the end of this part of the story, he says, it was not written for Abraham's sake that he was made righteous. It was not just written for his sake, but for our sake, so that we can learn from that. Are you still with me? So the very next verse, verse 24 says, but it was also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our? Oh, come on, give me do it one more time? He was delivered up because of our offenses and raised up because of our? Jesus was raised so that all the world, all the spiritual powers that be, all the universe would declare, they have been justified. They have been made righteous. Jesus, if he died and was never raised, listen, the payment was made. But Satan could come and tell you, you haven't done enough. Because if Jesus is still dead, then you haven't done enough. You need to do more. Are you with me? If Jesus is still in the grave, you need to do more. But the fact that he was raised is justification. It has been paid. That's why in this church we dare to believe God for more. Well, well, you know, this happens at, no, no, this doesn't happen to me at this age. He has been raised for my justification. Are you with me? If Abraham could be over 120 and the Bible says his natural force had not left him. My God, what about the rest of us? Amen. Amen. We are under a covenant like Abraham. The law had not yet come for almost 450 years later. Likewise for us. We are not under it. Even our tour guide, who's not a Jew, said this. Well, you know, your Jesus said he did not come to destroy. He came to fulfill. And I said, you're right. Amen. Amen. They know it. (laughs) He didn't come to destroy. He fulfilled. He didn't come to destroy the payment. He came to pay it. You know, if, if if you get a phone call from your... A banker tomorrow, and they said, uh, I have good news for you, all right, from your bank, I have good news for you. Your pastor, Matthew Edwards, he paid off your entire house. Thank you. <laughs> only a few of you, okay, only a few, all right. Now, you say, you hang up the phone, you hang, hallelujah, praise moment, you run through the house, yes. roll on the floor a little bit, you know. You cry, yes. <laughs> call a few friends, then you, you get yourself together. <laughs> Next month, a letter from the bank comes in the mail. What do some of you think? (laughs) That was a cruel trick. Now, 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 you're probably going to open it to find out, but your first thought is sad because that's what you think of me. You just told on yourself, that's what you think of me, all right? Now listen, if I pay it off and you get upset and you say, well, I better pay it, whose fault is it? It's yours. Now, if you don't open the letter, but you keep paying it every single month, who's the dummy? (laughs) Not you. I'm sorry, not the bank. And definitely not me. It's been paid. So stop trying to pay for what's already been paid for. Right? Stop paying for what's been paid for. Stop trying to earn what's already been earned. You have the favor of God on you. You have the favor of God on you in every area. And you know why? Because it's been paid for. And his resurrection, he was delivered up because of your failure to pay. So when he was delivered up, hey, it's the exchange. But he was raised to declare it's been paid. Yeah. Hallelujah. Resurrection Sunday, it's been, he's been raised to declare it has been paid. Now let's fast forward to chapter 5. Chapter 5, we'll pick up at verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this is in the New Living Translation. He says, for scarcely a righteous man. No, this is in the New King James. Did I put the New Living? I didn't. I was tired last night. I was falling asleep putting in verses. <laughs> Anyways, so he says this. For, he says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, let me, let's break this apart verse by verse. Before you could even think about paying the price, God moved. Aren't you glad we have this idea in the church? Well, when you repent, God will be good to you God said I'm not gonna give you the chance to think about repentance I'm gonna move first and I'm gonna let my goodness bring you to repentance. Are you with me? So when you were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly now if that doesn't settle look at the next verse for Scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man Someone would even dare to die now in the new living it explains it a little bit better He says it like this for scarcely for a good or decent person someone will die And you know what when it comes to a really good person a few more people might dare to die for that person, right? Oh Man, this guy is a really good person. I would give my life for them But for someone on the side of the street nobody would really do that But then what does he say verse 8? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Christ didn't die for you when you had all this potential. When you said, oh, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. Oh, Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. He didn't say, okay, I'll die for you then. He knew in that moment at the cross, you may never say yes. And he still died for you. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? he demonstrates his own love he demonstrates his love how by waiting to the moment when it was the perfect time what was the perfect time when you had no idea who he was that's why it's so sad in churches when we tell people it's so sad it's so sad when we tell people when you get your life together then God will well what did you expect when you live like the world and you get results like the world it's so sad God's love bridged the gap between our sin and his holiness God's love came and said you know what I don't care about your mistakes I want to be good to you. I don't care about your mistakes. I will be good to you I want to give you more of my favor. I want to give you more healing. Well, I don't deserve it That's why you're qualified for it because grace is not for people who have earned it And it's not for people who deserve it. it is for people who say hey, I am unqualified. Then that's your qualification Amen Oh, man, this got me excited. I'm telling you. The- Anyways, <laughs> he demonstrates his own love by waiting until you could do absolutely nothing. Then he says, now let me love you. Then we come to verse nine that says much more than much more and much more appears five times in this chapter. Beautiful. Five happens to be that special number of what? Grace. Grace. Interesting. Grace. Much more appears five times in this chapter. Much more then, having now been made righteous or justified by his blood, his blood justified us, right? We shall be saved from wrath through him. Everyone who says we will go through the judgment of God, here you go. Anyways, we're not here to talk about that in times. We come to verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, his death brought us close to God. Watch this. Much more. Having been reconciled, we shall now be saved by his life. Now, I've already said this. I meant to say this here. I said it already. (laughs) If his death brought you close to God, how much more will his life do for you? Are you with me? If death brought you this close to God, we are now one with him. Jesus said, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. We are one. Well, well, Lord, when will we see the Father? You've seen me. You've seen him. (laughs) If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We, we are one. What do you not understand on the night of his betrayal? We are one. <laughs> right? You want to see God? You've seen me. There you go. And Jesus, by his death, the moment you say, you are my Lord and Savior, and we'll give that moment at the end, you are my Lord and Savior. You can say it now from your heart. When that, when that moment happened, guess what? Now you and the Father are one. You're one. Now, what does he mean? Now, if his death did that much, how much more will his life do? Are you with me? Now that you and God are one, how much more will his life before God do? I'm telling you, in the Old Testament, they had mercy. And when they went before God one time a year, they went before the mercy seat. You know what mercy means? It means, God, don't give me what I deserve. It means, God, we weren't good this year, but you know what? Please don't give us what we deserve. And the priest would walk out because God accepted him and he would hold up his hands and say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Right? We say that at the end of every service. But do you know that they only got mercy? Now, in the new, we come before the throne of? To receive mercy and? In the time of need. Now, now. And you know what? That verse was not written for us. We don't come to the throne. We are seated on the throne in heavenly places with him. That verse was written to the Jews who were still questioning, is he really the way? Is he really the truth? And the author of Hebrews was saying, stop, come close, come close to the throne of grace. Walk away from the mercy seat and realize it's no longer just mercy. Now it's the throne of grace. And if you will come here where he is, you won't just get mercy, you'll get grace. God won't give you what you deserve, and he will give you what you don't deserve. (laughs) You won't just get the, you won't just escape the punishment. Now you'll get life and life forevermore. Amen. Oh, man. I'm excited. How much more his life? (laughs) How much more his life? Now, everything Jesus did, keep in mind, everything he did was to raise the value of people before he died. Before he died, he's always trying to raise the value of people. He's always trying to show them, look, you can't take from me. Look, this is my heart for you. In fact, I was getting ready for this, and I don't want to show you the verses. You can go back and read them yourself. But did you know that when the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus, you know what she said to herself? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. Now, let me interpret that for you, if I may, all right? I can take something from him without him knowing it. Are you with me? But she needed it. She needed it so much. So what did she do? She pushed through the crowd and instead of crying out, Jesus, son of David, like someone else did, instead of crying out, she just said, if I can just get to him, I can get from him. In a sense, I can steal from him, but she needs it. Now, Jesus wants to raise the value of everyone. And he wants you to know how valuable you are. So when the woman grabbed him and she got something from him, he stopped heaven and earth. There's a 12 year old girl dying. She can wait. <laughs> she can wait. And you know why because i will not let this woman walk away thinking that she took something from me i will not let her walk away thinking she stole one thing from me i am here for you to take from me i am here for you to take from me are you with me and as soon as he as soon as he raises the value of this woman the bible says fearing and trembling you know what that means she was low She took something from him. God is so good. Now let me quietly get back to my home. No, 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 no. Stop. Everybody stop. Someone took something from me. And when he finds her, he didn't say, why didn't you come to me face to face? Why didn't you just ask? You know what he said to her? Daughter. (laughs) Daughter. And then he didn't say, my power has healed you. He said, your, your faith has made you well. Then gave her a secret that we're still unveiling to this day. Go in peace and keep the healing you received. Isn't that beautiful? He raises the value of the woman. Then they come and say, don't bother him anymore. He waited too long. The girl is dead. If I'm Jairus, I'm angry. I would have found that woman and said, no, no I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm angry, right? And Jesus, before Jairus can say one word, says, she's sleeping. Only believe she'll be fine. And when he gets to the house, what does he do? Talita kumi. He takes his Talit and says, kumi, little girl, arise. Yes. We don't have time to unveil that, but you know what, t- you know what the Talit is a picture of? His righteousness. Little girl, under my righteousness, rise. When you're in a church where righteousness, the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of man, but the righteousness of God as a gift is unveiled. Whatever is dead will come back to life. Are you with me? kumi, and the little girl stood up and he gave her back to their parents. Isn't that beautiful? Now, look at this another story. There's another story. Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, and we were there. Oh, man, it was awesome. The Sermon on the Mount, where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, his last words were this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Then he said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow is gone, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his, and all these things will be added to you. Right? Then the Bible says, after he finished these things, he went down the mountain. And when he went down the mountain, a man who was a leper came and kneeled down before him, worshiping him on the ground, and said, my Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now watch this. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Most of us in the church know that God can, but some of us doubt, will he? We all know he can, but the question is not, can he? The question is, will he do it for me? And the same answer Jesus gave this man is the same answer he's giving us today. I can, I will. And you know what Jesus could have done because we know he did this? He could have said, be cleansed and walked away. He could have said, be cleansed. Now go offer and But you know what Jesus did? The man is kneeling down before him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He looks at him and says, I am willing. Then he grabs the man and holds him. Oh, man. What about the law? If you touch a leper, you're unclean. Aren't you glad grace is greater than our failures? Grace is greater than our sin. Now, uncleanliness, your unclean won't make me unclean. And some of you are very unclean. (laughs) Your uncleanliness... Won't make me unclean. God's grace will make you greater. His love will perfect you. Amen. You can't steal from him. And his heart is so full. Now what does that do when you walk out of here? It means the value has gone up. Let me, you, let me show you two more verses and I'll close. Is that okay? Two more verses. <laughs> Matthew chapter 12. Look at this. Jesus has just entered the temple and he sees a man who has a withered hand. And the Pharisees look around to see, is Jesus going to heal the man on the Sabbath? So what does Jesus do? He brings the man in front of everyone. He says this, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? Now, this is not the same exact story. I'm sorry. I'm mixing Mark and Matthew. In this story, they're watching to see, will he heal? And Jesus says, if one of you having a sheep that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, will you not also pull the sheep out? Then he says this, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? No one responds. So what does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 12, verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, isn't it sick when somebody gets blessed around you, you go and try to find a way how to destroy it. (laughs) Self-righteousness will take you further than you thought it would. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, i put this in context. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. They're trying to kill him. So what does Jesus do? He takes his disciples and says, let's, let's leave. Let's leave. We've healed this man. Let's leave. But the crowds are saying, wait a second. He can heal. Let's follow Jesus. So when they follow him, he heals everyone in the crowd. <laughs> That's why it drives me crazy. People say, well, God heals somebody. He doesn't heal everybody. Jesus healed everyone in the crowd. <laughs> Well, I knew someone who didn't get healed. I can't answer for everybody, but I can't answer for me. I'm staying until I get healed. <laughs> Jesus healed me. I will not waver in my belief. What if you die believing? Then I will die believing, but I will not waver in my belief. Jesus didn't. He never one time healed one and didn't heal another. He all, if you came to him, he healed you. And the only times many people did not get healed is when he went back home. And when he went back home, they said, is he not the son of the carpenter? And all of a sudden, their perception of him was not son of God. It was son of Joseph and Mary. And how they saw him stopped him from being able to give to him. Him from being able to give to them. Are you with me? So listen, Jesus is the son of God. If you want to be healed, listen, this morning he is here to heal you. You won't be able to steal from him. And his heart is always yes to you. Amen? So watch this. It says, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew and he healed them all. Now the very next verse, verse sixteen says, "Yet he warned the people who he's just healed. He warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying." Now I'm going to transition to Isaiah 42. Okay, I'm going to show you Isaiah 42 in the New Living. You can read it if you're following in your Bible. You can read it. It's a, it's a quote, direct quote from Isaiah 42. But Jesus told them, "Listen, I don't want you to say anything about what just happened here, and the reason why is this: to fulfill Isaiah 42." Isaiah 42, verse 1 to verse 4 in the New Living says like this, all right? Look at my servant. God is speaking. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. Who is the servant? Jesus. Jesus. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Now, when we see justice, we always mean, yeah, everyone who's being mean to me, God, justice. But when we're, when we're mean to people, we don't want justice anymore. <laughs> Right? Right? You know what justice means? And and I'm going to challenge you. Go home and study this for yourself. We don't have time for this. (laughs) Go home and study this. Every time justice is brought from the old into into the life of Jesus, it always means this. I'll bring grace to you. Go back and study for yourself. Don't take my word as the word of God. Go back and study it for yourself. So it says this. I will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. That's what he just told them. Don't go tell everybody. So he's fulfilling this verse, but he didn't stop there. When you read Matthew 12, he doesn't stop there. He quotes the rest of this verse, meaning, watch this, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. Now watch this. In the New King James or the Old King James, we know this as, um, he will not break a a weed. In fact, let me read it to you real quick in the, um, the way most of us know it. A bruised reed he will not break, where is it, verse 3? A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Now, in 2019, what in the world does that even mean? <laughs> a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. Did you know that back then when they wanted to sweep the house or whenever they wanted to do something, they would use reeds because they were thick. But like most things, if you use it too much, all of a sudden the reed gets weak, and then it breaks. It breaks. So before it breaks and you really get disappointed, you break it early and you go throw it on the fire. It's only good to be burnt. Now in the context, what are we seeing? Jesus is healing people. He's healing people. Then he quotes from Isaiah 42. And what does he say? A bruised reed he will not break. The weakest reed he won't break it and throw it in the fire. What is he saying? If you come to him and you say, I'm weak, I'm tired. He won't say, good, I've used you enough. Now it's time to find someone else. No, he will bring you and he will strengthen you. No matter how weak you are when you come to him, his love will strengthen you. Are you with me? And what about the smoking flax or the uh, flickering candle? You know what they would do? Um, My brother brought me one from Israel last year. And I have one at home. I should have brought it this morning. They would have these little clay pots and they would put oil in it. And they would put a, 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 a wick in it, right? And the thing is, once the wick burned all the way to the bottom, it would start smoking. And that's not good because when you're at home and all of a sudden your only source of light starts smoking, the house fills with smoke. So what do you do? When you see the wick is getting low, you quench it, you throw it out. You find another one. You discard it because there's no more value. But when Jesus looks at you, he says, I don't care how tired you are. And I say this by the grace of God. I don't care how old you are. I don't care. If you are weak and you're tired and you're worn out and it looks like your lifespan is coming to an end, I won't even quench you. I will strengthen you and extend it for you. No matter how weak you are, no matter how tired you are, a bruised reed, I won't break it. And a smoking flax, I won't quench it. Why? Because I love you. And I want to raise the value again. I want to show you how valuable you are to me. I don't even want to find someone else to do what I called you to do. I want you. I want you. You know, my mom talked about the Song of Solomon while we were at Israel. Oh, I'm bringing this to a close. (laughs) My mom talked about the Song of Solomon while we were on the trip, and men, this hit me so big. I was thinking about all of this getting ready for Sunday in my mind, right? And it dawned on me, the woman in the book of Song of Solomon, she keeps talking about all the things that disqualify her, all the things that make her ugly. But did you know the whole book is about her and him? It's about one man and one woman. And the whole time the woman is like, I'm not beautiful, I'm not this, I'm not that. But he never said, you're right. <laughs> he never said, you're right because he doesn't want anyone else. He wants her, and it's a picture of Jesus and you. He doesn't want anyone else. Yes, he loves us all the same, but put the magnifying glass on you. He wants you, and he won't give your call to anybody else. He won't give your purpose to anybody else. He wants you. You say, well, Jesus, I'm tired. Then come to me if you're tired, and I will give you strength. Well, Jesus, if I, if I come to you, I can't deal with my child. I can't deal with my job. I can't deal with all these things. Give me all your burdens because I care for you. Yes. Give me all your cares because I want to care in your place for you. Yes. Are you with me? Yes. He's here to tell you, I want you. Mm. Oh, man. Yes. Now, let me close with this. Oh, man, show you the last verse, and then I'll close with this. Isaiah 42, the last verse says this. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. That's you and me. That's you and me. We will wait to hear his voice. Now, let me close with this. In Matthew chapter 5, like I said earlier, and I said it too soon. (laughs) I'm so excited. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. You are the salt of the earth, right? But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And we talk about this a lot in our church. The Apostle Paul later on says this, let your conversation be full of grace seasoned with? So salt is a picture of the grace of God. It's a picture of grace. And when you are not gracious, God can't use you. Thank you for that thunderous amen. (laughs) When you're not forgiving, all right, you're just like people in the world. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, what makes you any different from people who don't have God? You're no different. All right, if you're rude to the waitress because she's rude to you, you're no different from anyone else in the restaurant. People without God are rude to people who are rude to them. Be better than people in the world because God has been better to you. And everyone said, Amen. amen. So you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus says this, and I want to draw your attention. Jesus says this, if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, why does he call you salt? And let me explain this real quick. At the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said this, he's not giving the law of us, the law for the gospel of grace. He's giving the law for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom was suspended because the Jews said, you are not the one. So now we've waited 2,000 years. But when Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God will rest on the earth. And this will be the constitution of the kingdom of God. So what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom that will come. But until the kingdom comes, we are under the grace of God, which is the gospel that Paul preached. Are you with me? Now, I hope I'm not confusing you. The reason why I say all that is to say this. When it comes to salt, Jesus says, if salt loses its flavor, I can't use it. It's only good to be trampled. That's the only reason. Are you with me? But notice he calls you salt, not anything else. You know what happens when you put sugar in water? What does the sugar do? It dissolves. When you put salt in water, what does it do? It stays the same. It can lose saltiness, but it stays the same. Are you with me? Jesus is giving us a little hint for the new covenant. Right? He's giving you a little hint. If you lose your saltiness, know, know this. You'll never lose who you are. Even when you aren't gracious, you'll never lose who you are. Now, we, again, we were driving by the Dead Sea, and this came to me. And, I, man, it was everywhere we went. The Lord was just, I was seeing stuff after this, after this, and I'll close with this. We drove by the Dead Sea. And when we drove by the Dead Sea, he said the number one export back in Solomon's day was salt. People would pay gold for salt, and Jesus calls you salt. And when I saw that, I remember years ago, I saw a video of these two men who decided they wanted to go find all these places in the Bible. So one of the places they wanted to find was where they crossed the Red Sea, and they found it, and they show you how it would have happened. It was beautiful. But then they came across Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's find Sodom and Gomorrah. So they go just on what the Bible says, and they found Sodom and Gomorrah by accident. But when they find it, there's these massive, tall pillars that look like they're just rock formations. But when you get close and you pierce it, what you can see is that over time they've been weathered, but it's actually these uh, white stones, almost like salt. When they tasted it, it was very, very salty. But almost everything at the Dead Sea is, right? So anyways, they pulled it out and they said, let's do a test. They had a lighter. They lit one of the white stones on fire and it burned blue. Interesting. It burned blue, which is what? There you go, Salt. And all of a sudden they realized they were standing in a massive place where there was salt, and they found this could have been Sodom and Gomorrah, which is very close to the Dead Sea. Now it's really interesting. I asked our guide about this, but anyways, it's really interesting because there's a big, widely believed, or widely accepted belief that Sodom and Gomorrah were on opposite sides of the Dead Sea and it became the reason why the Dead Sea became dead. All right? God doesn't make dead things. But what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire and brimstone fell. And when judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, the salt ran in and became the Dead Sea. Now, nothing can live there. Now, watch this. Out of judgment, out of judgment came salt, which became the number one most exported commodity in Israel, which made Israel wealthy. Now, watch this. Out of the judgment that fell on Jesus came you and me. (laughs) Are you with me? And now we are the salt of the earth. Judgment had to come. It had to come. And it fell on them. But out of the judgment, God said, from that judgment, I'll give you the thing that will be as as the equivalent of gold. I'll make you wealthy. And what happened to Jesus at the cross, listen, I say this graciously, made God wealthy. God looks at you as if you are a beautiful stone. And the high priest, he says, you are a stone on my chest. And your stone is different from everyone else." But when you are missing, this is missing. You make him beautiful. He adorns himself with you because you are beautiful in his sight. You are gold to the rest of the world. You are precious stone in his eyes. You are the salt of the earth. And you know what? When the world doesn't see your value, move on. Move on. Don't get day. you know, God loves me and these people don't. I want them to see. No, no, no. Just move on. If you're dating someone and they don't see your value, listen to me as the pastor. Listen, move on. (laughs) right. Move on. I'm serious. You're worth more. You are worth more. And you know what? Don't waste time on someone who's not willing to lay their life. And I say this graciously, lay their life down for you. Not when he laid his life down for you. You are worth more. Don't put up with someone else. Well, I really think they're hot. There's someone else out there. I promise. (laughs) There's someone else out there i got to bring this to a close. I love you so much. And you know what? Your heavenly father loves you more. But this morning, know this. Jesus was resurrected to declare you are valuable. You are gold. You are gold in my sight. In the tabernacle, you are wood overlaid with my beauty. You are wood overlaid with gold. And you know what? In the high priest's garments, you are a precious, unique stone. No one can replace you. I'm telling you, Jesus is resurrected this morning to declare you are valuable. And everyone said... Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your truth. And Father, we thank you that you paid a price again that you did not have to pay because you loved us. So this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, Lord, if you would, if, you, if you're here this morning and you said, Well,
0: Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte@gmail.com, at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in, and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.